Hello, story lovers. I have a great guest for us this week. Greg Amitaz is a screenwriter, a filmmaker, a DP, an editor, jack of all trades. But one thing that he mentions during this podcast really stuck out to me. Um, and that is that when filming his movie Camp Wedding, in determining what he was going to apply his budget to, right? We all have limited budgets when we're making our films, when we're starting out. And so he had to decide what he was going to shoot, what not to shoot, what he was going to include, right? In his day, when you're, when you're, when you're getting down to the nitty gritty, write your screenplay. Now you figure out the budget, make choices, what stays, what goes, depending on how much money I have to actually accomplish what we're after. And one of the ways that he was able to make that determination is by understanding the story he was telling, by asking yourself, what is the story I'm telling at every turn? You can figure out what stays and what goes. It sounds basic, but when you really break it down, what is the story I'm telling is a mantra that can take you from the brainstorming phase to post. And I would like to just talk about that, especially, you know, story love being what it is, which is, um, you know, a celebration of a love for story and the importance of story and all of us writers who are called to story. Um, what is the story I'm telling is the question that you can always go back to. It's a true north. It's where everything starts. So let's say you have an idea for a movie. You're jotting your ideas down. You have a million different ideas. They're coming at you. You're jotting them all down, right? And then you're you're ready to make some decisions. You know, you're at a crossroads. There's two different ways you can go, three different ways you can go. Which way do I go with this story? How do I tell this story? Well, the way to make the decision, if you don't already know, is to say, okay, well, what is the story I'm telling? Pinpointing that answer down to its lowest common denominator is the best thing that you could do for yourself as a writer as early as possible. What is the story I'm telling? I talk all the time about Aristotle saying your story is an action, right? The, your story, what is the action line of your story? So another way of saying that is what is the story I'm telling? If you're tell, if you tell me, if you tell me that you're telling the story of a girl who gets transported to a magic world and then has to find her way back by believing in herself, and figuring out that she had the power to go back the whole time. If that's the story you're telling, then that's your point A to point B arc. And anything that doesn't have to do with that story doesn't belong in your story. And this is how you decide which way to go when you're, when you're still, when you're brainstorming ideas. What is the story I want to tell? What is the story I'm telling? If you have a wonderful idea about the scarecrow at home, and it's a hilarious scene with the scarecrow <laughs> all by himself. And it's great stuff, right? You have to ask yourself, does that have anything to do with a girl who's transported to a magical world and has to find her way back home? No, it doesn't belong. Cut it. Right. So the way, um, the way that it can help you is, uh, you know, early on is by helping you make the decisions, right? Making a decision. This is the story that I'm telling. And now that's going to be my true north. Any question that I have during the writing phase can be answered by that question. What is the story I'm telling? Going back to it. If what you're trying to decide is a part of your story. Great. Now, 
the hard part, the difficult part in this, right, is really, really, truly understanding the story that you're telling. And this is a muscle that you have to continue to work. And a great way to work it is when you watch movies to try to figure out what the story is. I'm telling the story of a guy who's madly in love with a woman and sacrifices his love for her in order to save the world. That's the story I'm telling. That is the story of Casablanca. So in order to, to help us understand that the world has to be saved, right? We have to set up the scene. Well, what state is the world in, right? That's part of the ordinary world then. If I know that I'm telling the story of a guy who's going to give up the love of his life in order to save the world, I have to believe that the world is in turmoil. So all of Casablanca, right? All of the wonderful stuff of Casablanca is just setting up the world that's in turmoil, that the ordeal that he's going to have to face is deciding between his love and saving the world. And what decision will he make? That's the story I'm telling. That's my true north. Every decision I make after that is leading me towards that story and setting up the stakes of that story, right? I can't, I'm not going to care at the end of the movie if he chooses to give up the love of his life to save the world if I haven't already set up that it was the love of his life and it is the love of his life and he's never been the same without her. So the clearer you can be about the story you're telling, the easier it's going to be to make decisions in the future. This question will take you through every stage of the filmmaking process. You know, Casablanca is not the story of the Nazis in the bar. It's not, it's, Casablanca is not, I'm telling the story of a guy in World War II who owns a bar, who is a loner, and he, you know, has, you know, sketchy friendships. That's not the story. Those are the details of the story. The story is a guy who gives up the love of his life to save the world. That's the arc. That's the action. When you watch movies, it's very interesting to, to try to boil down what is the story? What is the action line? So now as you're writing, right, you've decided, here's the story that I'm telling. As you're writing, ideas are going to pop into your head and you're going to have to decide, I really want to write this scene, but is it part of the story that I'm telling? I have to stay clear to my true path. I have to stick to my true north. And that will help guide you, really will. When you're stuck, that's the question you should ask. Is it pushing my story forward? Is it a part of the story that I'm telling? So now, let's say, now, you're, now you've got your script, you know you've, you've written a great story, you know what the story is that you're telling. Well, now it's your job to convey that story to everybody else, right? So when you sit down with the director and say, here's the story I'm telling, right? Hopefully the director's on board with you, and now you both are telling the same story right? If you are the director, you need to be very clear about what that story is because you're going to have to convey that to all of the keys of the department so that everybody's making the same, the same movie. We're all, make, we're all telling the same story. I mean, these decisions come down to, to everything down to costumes. So now in every stage of this story that we're telling, the costumes will reflect that. The lighting will reflect that. What's the story that we're telling? Everybody's going to be affected. And the story starts with you as the writer. What you're about to hear, what Greg says is, you know, on the day 
when you don't have the budget and you have to decide what's going to stay and what's going to go and we're losing light and we don't have time to shoot everything, what do I absolutely need to shoot to tell the story is the answer. If you don't know that, you're going to shoot stuff that you don't really need and get back to the editing room and realize that you left stuff out that you need for your story and now you're screwed. If you don't really truly clearly know what exactly the story is that you're telling, you can even boil it down into singular shots. One of my, my dad used to say that all the time when I shadowed him on set, he would say, all right, here's the story we're telling in this shot. The story that we're telling is she knocks on the door and he's not home. I mean, simple as that. That's, that's the story. That's the shot. But every single shot tells a story. Nothing, nothing is ambiguous, or it shouldn't be at least. And the same, obviously, the same is going to go for post, right? In editing, same thing. What's the story we're telling? Your editor might have a wonderful story in their head <laughs> and, and, you know, save these shots and cut to there and tell this part of the story. And, and all of a sudden you're looking at a cut and you're like, that's wonderful. And those are great takes, but that's not the story we're telling. If you don't understand it well, you might lose your film in the editing room and not even understand why, because you and your editor weren't telling the same story. And we could follow this all the way through, even to the marketing of the film. How do you market the film, right? What, well, what, you know, there's a million ways to market a film. And while a lot of that does have to do with what's going to sell, ultimately people want to be sold the movie that they're eventually going to see. And in order to make that successful, what do you need to know? What exactly is the story that you're telling? You know, um, this is a literal question. You know, what's the story? But it could also be um, emotional, thematic. Forrest Gump, we're telling the story of how one human life can touch many lives without even realizing it. You know, Forrest Gump was practically all theme. It was all an emotional story. But that's the story they were telling. What's the story you're telling is crucial when you're telling broad epic tales. Is is Titanic about the sinking of the Titanic? Absolutely not. Titanic is a love story. Titanic is a story of two people who should not fall in love, who fall in love, and will they make it or will they not? That's what Titanic is about. If you don't really understand what the story is you're telling in Titanic, that becomes a very boring movie. It's very important when you're, especially when you're thinking about adaptations, true life stories, you know, very often I say it's so important for a writer to have a take. If you're going to write a biopic or a true life story, right? True story. You're going to adapt it for the film. You better have a take. It cannot be just a general telling of events. It's going to, it's going to read like a, a visual newspaper article. If we want to create drama, we have to manufacture a story within the historical events that take place, within the actual life that lived. Social Network. Is that a movie about the making of Facebook? No. That's a movie about a friendship and the destruction of the friendship in the making of Facebook. That's the story. And if you don't know the story you're telling, that's okay. But you have to be aware that you don't know it. You have to be aware that you do not understand what the action line is from point A to point B, and then you have to sit with it and figure it out before you start to write. Because it's only going to be murky and cloudy and messy unless you have your own true north. Sometimes you can't figure it out 
and you're stuck there in the mud and you just have to make a decision, just decide something, just write it down and say, you know what, here's what I'm writing about. I'm writing about a boy who, who lost his bicycle. That's what I'm going to write about. And I'm throwing it down there. That's it. And now I'm going to construct my story out of that premise. A boy loses his bicycle and goes across the country to try to retrieve it. That's the story I'm telling. That's the story of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I don't know why that popped into my head, but um, uh, that is the story, right? Sometimes you just have to pick something and throw it down on paper and then go from there. And then halfway in the middle, you might go, you know what? I'm not telling that story, actually. That's actually not the story. That's the story I thought I was telling. The story I'm really telling is the story about a boy who becomes a man through the course of finding his bicycle across the country. That's not, that's not Pee Wee Herman at all, but it could have been. <laughs> and Pee Wee Herman was a totally different movie. Pee Wee could have matured <laughs> on his trip across the country. You know, and that's how a story evolves, right? So, but, but in order to begin, you must pick something and decide and then craft all of your choices from that decision. And if it changes, so be it. But at least you know you're going in a direction that has focus. What is the story you're telling? Choose an answer and head in that direction. And make sure that no scene is taking you away from the focus of that story. No storyline, no extra POV. I don't have to go meet this person on that road. I don't have to go to this scene. I don't have to have this backstory. If it doesn't have anything to do with what's happening in your story that you've decided to tell from point A to point B. I hope that you enjoy this episode. I have the wonderful Greg Emmetas here with me today. How are you, Greg? Great, great. Good to be here. It is so good to see you. Um, we, Greg was the DP on my very first short film, and um, it was the most amazing experience because um, it, it was just so collaborative. We were just on the street with the camera grabbing shots, and it was so much fun. And so I'm so glad to be back hanging out with you today. That was an amazing experience. Yeah, I loved working on that. Mm -hmm. uh, for me too. Very, um, it's so rare that you find a process that's so collaborative, where it's like, what are we doing next? And on the same page and everything we find is so good. It was just everything was better and better and better the whole time. So I just remember being like squeezed into that shower Yay. in like a corner of that bathroom to get those mirror <laughs> shots. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I have pictures. I'm going to post them. Um, yeah, so you are the writer and director of The Wonderful Camp Wedding. Talk to me about the process of how you got the idea. Just, you know, uh, soup to nuts. Tell me all about Camp Wedding. Well, it's kind of an epically long story because it goes back to the very first movie I ever made, really, which was called um, Neat Freak, which was something I did. This was back in like 2002 when I was in grad school and, you know, decided, wait, I don't know if I want to be a lighting designer for theater. I think I want to be a filmmaker. And I just basically like got my roommates together to try to make this crazy quasi horror film in our apartment, which was about a kind of obsessive compulsive ghost like it was sort of like the opposite of a poltergeist instead of causing disorder it like cleaned rooms and imposed order and uh -huh. so it would also like sort of get at people's vices so you know someone got vacuumed to get to death someone is like drowned in cleaning alcohol because they were had their own alcohol problem you know and then 
you know, there was a seance that somehow solved everything, you know. So so that was something that I made, you know, had no idea what I was doing, was like first time really using a camera, didn't really understand that good sound was important, you know. <laughs> we are just using the camera sound. And it was a wild process. And we shot like in a weekend, we shot like 40 pages. It was insane, you know. And I also, wow. it wasn't like a link that anyone wants. <laughs> so so I did that, you know, and... and um, my good friend Cara Consilvio was my roommate at the time was sort of like the lead in that I was in it. We all just were in it being crazy people, you know, and fun. years later we were talking about like, let's do something else. And, and like, we'd be fun to revisit that now that we know kind of what we're doing, you know, as, <laughs> as filmmakers. Um, and we, for years had different ideas and, you know, we, she had like a family cabin somewhere in the woods we went to for like a 30th birthday thing that was supposedly haunted. And that's where I think I started having the idea of like, oh, you know, what'd be interesting is like, what if people's cell phones were haunted, you know? And so that was, that was where one of the first ideas that came into this. Then Kara got married and did this kind of cool new hip thing, which was have a wedding at a summer camp. And I was like, Oh, this is so cool. And we were, t and we actually screened Neat Freak at that wedding. And a lot of our old friends kind of that we hadn't seen in a long time got back together. A lot of people like uh, Michael Colucci, who's also a Neat Freak, by the way, who you know. Stop is, it. Yes. Stop is the re it. He gets vacuumed to death. This is how we know each other, by the way. So <laughs> he was at the wedding and we screened it. You know, we're all like, oh my gosh, that was so crazy that we did that, you know. And so I guess the idea then came, we were like, Cara and I were like, well, ooh, what if we, did a, you know, a summer, you know, a summer camp wedding horror kind of experience. Now this, at this point, I had not seen Friday the 13th. I didn't really understand that like summer camp was like a horror. You didn't see sleepaway camp? Cause I am still to this day traumatized by sleepaway camp. No. I saw that movie when I started doing research, basically after I'd written at least the first draft of the script. So I was like, I, I just was like, oh, cool weddings, summer camp. This seems like a fun location for scary stuff to happen. Not thinking like this is the location that everything, ha you know, when I watched Friday the 13th, I was like, oh, this is great. It's also kind of funny, you know, uh, but it was only for research on how to direct the film, not writing. I think I'd seen like, but what I'd seen is things like Cabin in the Woods. You know, I'd seen the movies that were already riffing on those. Yes. Um, so that's kind of where the whole idea came from. And I was like, well, let's just take most of the same characters so that like the the gore carry all these sort of main roles in this were characters in the original Neat Freak, you know, like even Trask, the sort of like, is he gay? Is he straight? Everyone's into him. That character yeah. was totally a Neat Freak character, that's you know. Right. So so I was like, well, what? A, it's almost like these characters are now grown up and they're all kind of reconnecting again at a camp. It's not we didn't explore like that. They really had a backstory about being haunted by an obsessive compulsive inverted poltergeist. But that, you know, that was definitely there. So that's, and I was like, okay, I want to do this thing with haunted cell phones and maybe just people being disconnected by social media. And then, you know, like the feeling like they're connected because they see yeah. each other on Facebook, but then what happens when they actually have to be together and then are given real tasks to like work together. That's great. That's so great. And so tell me about the writing process. What was that like for you? Especially coming from someone who used who's used to working behind the camera and now having to sit down and put the writer hat on. Right. Like I I guess I go back pretty far also. I think I was writing plays before I ever like really picked up a movie camera. So I 
but but I never like had super formal training. You know, I was in grad school for lighting design and then like took a screenwriting yeah. class. Um, but I've always struggled with structure. Like that's the thing. Like I get really obsessed with weird backstories. My friend Rachel Carey is always saying like Greg's stories are always like 200 years ago. <laughs> so I actually leaned into that with this and was like, well, let's just let's start right there. Like the, the second line of the movie is something like, you know, um, this place has a past, you know, like a 200 years ago past. And, and so that was part of the process was just like, okay, I've got these elements of estranged friends and, you know, what's, what's actually going to happen. I want there, there to be some kind of miscommunication via text message, be a thing, which a lot of short films I'd done up until that point had been about mm -hmm. that. Um, so those were the elements going in. And I just basically started writing a um, really detailed treatment. Right. And I actually just today read back over that and I'm shocked at how much like is still there. The ending changed quite a bit, but a lot of the beginning sort of elements were there to just think about, okay, what's, how is this going to play out? Um, and then I started writing pages and bringing them into the shelter, which is the theater company I'm sort of associated with mm -hmm. in New York, which is very much based on the actor's gym, you know? And so I would just bring in these pages and get feedback uh, and then that sort of, and over the course, like one of the people that was reading the pages, Morgan McGuire ended up in the movie, you know, um, actually cast from that. And I started writing the role for her, you know, even though it had been based on a, another friend of mine originally, you know, and these were very loosely, some of these characters, the new characters were sort of based on people that had been at that car's wedding, you know, and so that's effectively how it developed, but definitely early on, like, um, I was getting really obsessed with this backstory and it was so complicated. No one knew what was going on. I'm just like, well, you know, there was like this really, because we had done it at Camp Kinderland, which is kind of a socialist summer camp. Oh, wow. And so I had this, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating place, but you know, you go there and there's like all these like, you know, um, social justice leader, like placards everywhere. Like I think the playhouse is like the Paul Robeson playhouse and it's an amazing place. And that's where the wedding happened. And we thought we'd film there. It didn't end up happening that way. But so I had this whole thing where it was like a girl who was like super, like a zealous communist or something. And then she goes and burns down the rich camp and then, but she didn't really do it. Someone else did it. And it was like, it was its own movie, right, right, right. you know? And so, so that was something I, and that's obviously the thing I just struggle with is wanting to have like this past story be more interesting than what's happening in person. And so that was to some extent reduced, but I decided to still have like, oh, there was a Native American massacre here and there were witch trials and this girl got struck by lightning and drowned, you know, but I kept it to just that. <laughs> just those three. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So you, um, you develop the script, you have the treatment, you write the script, then what happens? Where did, how'd you get the money? We all want to know where the money comes from to make our movies, right? How, how did you put this all together? Well, that end of it was just, I basically just dipped. I first, I was like, okay, well, I know this movie. I'm not going to be able to like raise a lot of money. I'd done a short where I'd done a Kickstarter and I basically asked all my friends for money. And, and I was like, I can't really do that again. So how can we just make this on the tightest possible budget? And then I can, you know, dig into savings, go a little bit into debt, and this is how we're going to do it. Um, and I basically interviewed a lot of, I talked to a lot of producers and their first thing was like, well, can you raise any more money? I'm like, this is it. You know, it was always written to be inexpensive. Like that was some, like, even when I looked at like an earlier draft today, I was like, it was like, everyone can stay at the camp. We have, we house them there and then everyone can, like, hey, if you can get a gorgeous location, it's just there for you. So so I think that's one. Key. Yeah. 
So now, okay. So what what did you learn most um, directing this 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 film on location? What was the biggest lesson you learned as a director? I would say the big lesson was by the end of the process, I was really just thinking, and this is I think applies especially to this podcast. Like I was just thinking, like what tells the story? Because we didn't have time to get like really cool shots of everything. Like I always like the DP and I had like all these extra shots we wanted of everything, but at, there was one point where it was like, okay. We only have like three shots for this scene. The sun came up, so we had to go in the freezer, make that the end of our day to like shoot this um, with um, the amazing Wendy Young being the last one doing that crazy Battle Hymn of the Republic thing in the freezer, you know. Um, But it really was like, okay, you know, the minimum and thinking also as an editor, which I mean, that's what I had a lot more experience going in decisions to not do all the like inserts of the phone, but instead do that as a kind of VFX thing that took me months but whatever you know have little floating text messages by their phone to convey that and do voiceover so people didn't have to spend a lot of time reading but like those insert shots take we did a few and they took forever so you know it was really thinking about what's the, what's the way to actually get this done and we somehow we shot every every page of the script we shot everything we basically wanted wow that's amazing i love i love the advice that you have to know the story that you're telling Every department needs to know what the story is that you're telling, right? What's the story of, of, of this shot is just such a great way to look at everything. You mentioned the script supervisor and, uh, the script supervisor is like the unsung hero of making a movie. And, uh, I, you know, speak to that for a second because nobody talks about, you know, if you have the budget, this is what you should be spending your money on. Yes. So yeah. And it was, I mean, we did not have much of a budget. But even my the producer, you know, who's known for frugality, I guess you could say, I think he would wear that as a badge of honor, Josh would. But like he was like, you probably need a street. I think you need a script supervisor for this. And he's like, I've got a really good recommendation, like a crazy good recommendation on someone who's, you know, like sort of making a name for themselves, having come from France. You know, I was like, okay, I'll meet with her. And she seemed great. She actually saved us. She also would just come up to me in these amazing moments and be like, just point at the script and be like, do you basically, do you want to get that line that's in the script that no one said yet? And it was just over and over again. It was like every shot, basically, I was like, thank you know, thank God that Caroline is here just gently being like, Greg, your script includes this or like just a little piece of description (laughs) that's important for the story that we need to see like a prop or something that we weren't thinking. And I mean, it's because even as someone, you know, even if you're directing it and you wrote it, you don't have that level of detail that a script supervisor does who's watching the monitor and seeing, you know, really just looking for what's in the script and having it match up. I mean, it is it is a total unsung heroic project and and i mean you just have to have that kind of mind that's so detail oriented and not many people have it but scripties do here you are okay here's what i really want to know so speaking of mike colucci so mike colucci um you know was the producer from my first short and he said listen we were talking about dps and he said listen i have a friend who's a genius i said oh really and he's like no he's a genius you don't even know he took a phone. He took his, what did you, something you took, some, either a phone or a camera to the Eiffel Tower and filmed this whole thing in the Eiffel Tower and made the short film. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, gorilla style. You're going to love him. I was like, are you kidding? Let's do it. And here comes, here comes genius Greg and why I call you genius Greg, because that's how you were introduced to me. <laughs> so tell us about the Eiffel Tower. 
get the F space space K out of Paris. I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. What the fuck out of Paris? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, we're going to do this again, but we'll just, we're going to try to use the Eiffel Tower. And I think I hadn't really tried to do anything to Gorilla before. It's after hours and she snuck in. And even the guy, he's like, he's like, oh, I, I'm actually a stuntman kind of. And I'm like, what? And so he went and like, as if he was, he jumped a turnstile um, <laughs> as if he was like breaking into the Eiffel Tower and the security came to him. And then he explained he was a stuntman and we were filming it. And then they were somehow okay. But I was like, hey, I didn't know you were going to do that. So I just tilted up and didn't see it. And he's like, I'll do it again. And so, so we did that. And then we basically just walked up and it was a kind of slow day, I guess, at the Eiffel Tower. And we, and not a lot of people walk, they take the elevator. So we just waited for the stairs to clear and then got shots of them running up the stairs. And then at the very top, we just did much tighter shots. And there's a great little place you can be like lower than an upper balcony and you can kind of shoot as if you're on the ground. And so we just did, there's some hilarious outtakes where they're in these like traumatic like what's happening my friend just died moments and then a tourist just sort of saunters through in slow motion it's ridiculous but yeah i just you know i had a little my dslr it looks like a regular camera everyone in the eiffel that's so great that's great where can we watch these go to minorapocalypse.com is the way to just find everything and i know apocalypse is hard to spell but think minor like m-i-n-o-r-a-p-o-c-l-y-p-s-e but if you go to the film section, all of that's there. And there's, I think it's now on like Vimeo and it's like a buck or something to watch or, um, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not too expensive, but they're short and fun. And there's little trailers if you want to get a taste for it. Oh, well, please. Yeah. We're still getting interesting reviews. Someone called it like a edgier lifetime movie. And I was like, okay. You could make a living making edgy lifetime movies. I mean, <laughs> that's that's a that's a niche. <laughs> you know, so here you are. You you've now you've done all of these projects, these fun different projects. Here you are. If you go back to who you were when you started, like you're in film school and you're taking a screenwriting class on the side, right? Or uh, what you were saying, you know, what's the one thing that you whisper in your ear and you say, "Hey, listen, you just need to know this. This is what's going to help you out." Just follow the things you're really passionate about. You know, like I have like a crazy interest in things like zeppelins, you know, and the first play I ever wrote was like a murder mystery aboard a zeppelin. Ridiculous, you know. But like and then I have another like time travel kids stories the Hindu. And I think it's better to find a way to get your passions to be accessible to other people to be like a compelling cathartic story structure, you know, find a way to work those into it, then to try to be like, well, people really like boxing movies right now, or people like these, I need to write something like that. That's what's commercial, but you don't care about that. You know, like I love trains too. So I'm working on this project with Rachel. That's like about a Nazi, like this whole story about like, there's a missing train that's full of like stuff from world war two. And we're, you know, exploring that. And it's like, we both love that kind of, that kind of storytelling that I, I'm just like obsessed with trains. And I'm like, well, Rachel, the, you know, I'm always telling her these like elaborate, she's like, we don't really need to know all that. But I'm like, but it would be, you know, it has to be powered by a micro hydro plant. So I think that's the thing I would whisper is just, you know, um, you may feel like, oh, well, this is just a me thing, or I'm always obsessed with this. It's like, well, just investigate that. Like, you know, I think all the great filmmakers were investigating the things that they were weirdly obsessed with. I mean, they say that everyone, I think Hitchcock was very open about having weird fetishes and stuff that 
color stuff that he was totally obsessed with and he just explored, you know, and in some ways invited an audience along. But I think the the point being that like you can you can really let your passions fuel your project as opposed to feeling like you have to somehow contain them. I love that. I love that so much. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's the thing that I think so many of us don't do because we're so insecure about our secrets, right? We don't want to reveal what we're really passionate about, you know, but then you say things like, um, a murder mystery on a Zeppelin. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Can we see that now? Like, like, you know, these ideas are just fabulous they're just fantastic and uh and they're just you know kinetic you can feel the energy in them because they're coming from from someone's passion so i mean that's just such great advice greg thank you this is great um you know the thing that i that i love about that as well is because one of the things that i focus on at writing by structure is this idea that you don't have to be a genius to be a screenwriter, you really don't. You have to have your idea and then you follow your passion with your idea. And then if you just learn how to build the cathartic journey from the monomyth into your story, you can take any story and make it cathartic and turn it into a screenplay. You just have to know the steps. It's not like it's this genius math that no one can learn, you know? And so I love that idea that, you know, you don't have to write the formulaic screenplays that you can take any idea like a murder mystery on a Zeppelin. Um, now I have to read it. Now I have to have it, Greg. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, uh, and, and, and take the tenets of storytelling and what makes a great screenplay and apply them to your dream as opposed to the other way around. I, I'm just so in love with this perspective here. When our powers combine. Yes. Um, you can also go to campweddingmovie.com, you know, uh, yeah, I don't, that's, that's everything I think that I'm working on. So, um, but no, this was really exciting. Yep. I'm so happy to hear that. Oh, good, 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 good. Well, please do keep me posted. Keep me posted on everything on, you know, how all of these projects are going and, and, you know, everything. I love to see all of your successes, my friend. <laughs> 